and Welshan, well, Welshan, well, dear me, Welsham. hello and welcome to the Ash Rugby Welsham. Chat Show. Welsham. Oh, dear me. Um, and yes, you can hear other people already. Yes, it's not just me. You, we do have, I have two guests to join me as well. And tonight we're going to be previewing Super Rugby and also the um, Six Nations. So, uh, and to join me to do all that, I have got uh, John O'Connor and uh, Stephen Harris. How are you doing, sirs? Deadly silence, I see. And the uh, and, and John's cutting in and cutting out. He needs to, here he is wandering around on Wi-Fi, you see, whereas uh, he needs to get himself all cabled up properly. But anyway, um, welcome to the show. Uh, how are you doing, Stephen? Very good, thank you, Paul. Uh, once again, a privilege and a pleasure to be on the uh, uh, TDM. And uh, yeah, John doesn't look like he's quite found his uh, his spot, but he's obviously giving giving us one of those uh, Panasonic views of the. Yeah, don't, don't you worry. I'm going to give it to you guys. I'm going to give you that Panasonic view. I'm setting myself up so that I can try and make it through a discussion about Six Nations rugby. I've got to like take special, uh, special precautions, get provisions, get caffeine, get a some kind of view to distract myself because we're going to talk about European rugby, right? So, uh, you know, if we're going to talk about paint drying, then I don't want to look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here you go, folks. This is how you do um, this is 101 on how to do videos on YouTube is to get in there quick um, and uh, get people information, not to uh, wander around and get yourself all nice and comfy. But anyway, we're there. We're there now, nearly. But let's start off and try and keep John awake by talking about Super Rugby to kick off with. So you the last three weeks. Listen, you don't pay me enough to get myself <laughs> ready before we start. <laughs> His hourly rate is so high. Um, Hi, guys, in the live chat. Great to have you joining us. Uh, and remember, this show comes to you at 8 p.m. every Tuesday. So if you'd like to watch the show live, you can do so on YouTube and uh, give your comments and questions in the live chat. Uh, also, if you prefer to uh, listen and watch, then, then this also comes out as a podcast as well. So you can listen to us on your way to work on the morning, uh, either on the bus or uh, or even in the car. You know, if that's how you, how you prefer to consume all of your rugby stuff. But anyway... Um, John, the last time we talked, we were talking the Africa Conference. Um, and uh, you think, I mean, we, we've had the Super um, uh, the, what's it, the, the superhero Weekend uh, pre-season games for those teams now. And uh, do you think they're all ready for, for Super Rugby? Or do you think there's going to be uh, a few teams more getting themselves sort of slowly cranking themselves up as the season goes along? Well, there's a couple of interesting additions like Jamie Roberts to the Stormers. So it really comes down to what's the cohesion going to be like when they kick off. You know, it often is like that uh, at the start of the rugby season, where you find that there's a lack of cohesion between uh, teammates, especially new ones, and where you have a number of guys having been out of their team environments for many months because of the World Cup. So, yeah, it'd be quite interesting to see what kind of cohesion there is there. And often... You find some of these teams that don't have a number of Springboks or All Blacks or or Wallabies players, um, they're a little bit more cohesive and they might get a jump, quick start out of the gate. So it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, it is. And whilst Jamie Roberts has gone there and, and obviously replaced Delendi in that side, I mean, what talk about like-for-like -like replacement of um, big, strong, uh, direct-running, no-passing player. Um, but uh, it looks like he's swanning around with his uh, um, with his new wife, uh, and is, is on honeymoon and things. So I'm not sure how much how, how, how much training Jamie Roberts has already done, but um, 
it is certainly interesting to see. See, he's come down to there. We've got um, Joe Marchant has come over to the Blues. Uh, do you think we get this, this, this? We're seeing the beginning of a trend of uh, European players coming, having uh, a season in Super Rugby for the um, to get used to it, Stephen. Oh, not necessarily. I, I think it's probably one of those things where it's the first year after the World Cup. I think it's probably in the case of Jamie Roberts. He's coming to the end of his career, so it's probably just a maybe a little bit of a tick box thing, if you know what I mean. In, in the case of Marchant, he's probably looking to experience something different. Like I doubt if it was, say, for example, a World Cup near next year, I doubt whether he'd be with, with the Blues at, at the minute. I, from what I believe, he does have a relationship with... Um, the Blues high-performance manager, Tony, Tony Hanks. So he's probably pulled a few strings. Um, listen, just uh, I watched the Super Round Hero Round weekend last weekend, and I've got to say I was really, really impressed with some of the rugby, some of the tries that I scored, uh, some of the tries that were, that were actually scored. And I mean to say, I think South Africa and rugby has now recognised that they've got some really good athletes on the, on the outside chain and... You saw a lot of those tries. There were some brilliant tries scored, John. Yeah, the, especially, the, you know, the Sharks have got a potentially devastating backline, And there seems to be a commitment, at least this is the word, um, among the correspondents there in Durban. There seems to be a commitment from the new coaching regime to moving away from what has been the Sharks' sort of signature style of play the last Ooh, let's say 15 years or so, which is a very direct style of rugby, and a return to uh, the, albeit in in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, what was uh, a little bit romantic at times, which is the uh, running the ball, which is that's that's the traditional area of South Africa. That's what it was known for, is for moving the ball through the hands. So they certainly got the athletes, and they certainly got the the brain power in in arm. Who, of course, is the new captain of the Sharks to be able to pull some of that off. So hopefully we'll see it. Yeah, it was interesting to see that the Hurricanes have actually gone over to the Sharks to get themselves a winger in um, Corbus Van Wyck, uh, which is uh, surprising to see a winger come over from South Africa to to New Zealand. Um, Corbus Van Wyck, uh, someone we should we should know. I mean, he's 28, so he seems to be a bit of a, a journeyman player, um, but someone we should know um, something about. Maybe or or or, or, or someone who's flown on the radar, John. I think um, I think he's what you would call a a good man to have in your squad at Super Rugby level. So remember that would be the second um, South African-born wing that they have in that team. So they've also got or oh, just uh, Wes Goosen. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. also South African-born. So yeah. Um, I think he'll add depth to any squad if you've got shorter numbers um, in the back three. So, yeah, I think he's a good addition to thing. I don't think he's what you would call top, top level. I don't think he has the explosive power and speed of Mapimpi or Spoon Corsi. But certainly, um, you know, I think a, a worthy addition to a squad to provide depth over the course of the tournament. Yeah, because it's, it's unusual for, especially to the New Zealand side, to go overseas for players. So seeing him there, um, seeing also uh, Joe March at the Blues has been, been um, has been interesting. And then also a, a person that you had a quick chat with at um, after a few of the games at the Meister 10 Cup, um, the uh, Ross uh, Glinderhuis has got himself a place with the Chiefs. 
Yeah, I think Ross is one of those real professional rugby players. And when I say that, I mean he's been around the block and and he knows what it takes to be part of a winning squad. He's played all around the world. Um, and uh, I was impressed, even though he's probably, what, 38 this year, I was impressed the shape that he was in. He was carrying very little body fat. Uh, yeah, so I think he'll be a good addition to the propping uh, depths there at the Chiefs. I wouldn't be surprised if he's got an eye on possibly being involved in the coaching there and the development of the younger players. And, uh, yeah, with, with Gatland there, obviously, um, if you're going to be... There, there's a coach who, um, who, can, who can teach you a thing or two. I think players, yeah, players would, would want to go and play for guys like him who have got such a good, um, a good record. Uh, but, I think, mean, Stephen, anything particular things you're looking forward to from this Super Rugby season? I mean, I've talked about players who are sort of moving between countries, but... Um, We've got players moving between teams as well, like Bowden Barrett, um, for example, and oh, I've gone blank as the guy that's moved from the Highlanders to the Hurricanes. Um, uh, Turo Lomax. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's been a bit more movement between teams this year than we've seen sort of in previous years, maybe. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot of a lot of questions to be asked this year, especially in and around the, the Crusaders. We, we know all the experience that they've lost, although I'm saying that They've still got their little, they've still got their little sort of uh, diamond in terms of um, Scott Robertson coaching the side. So it'll be interesting to see if they, he, he can still basically get the best out of these teams without some of those more experienced kids around. I suppose that's that's sort of one question that I'm asking. I'm, probably the other one is just in and around the depth. There's a lot of quality players that have that have left New Zealand and on paper. Um, you know, some of these, some of those sides don't. You know, the Highlanders, the Crusaders, don't look as strong as they were in, in, in the past. I, I, you know, I stand to be, stand to be corrected. Obviously, with the Hurricanes, there probably their two real big losses at the moment. The ones that we, you know, Bowden Barrett, and obviously not having Adi Savir around. As I, as previously said, I think out of all the sides, to me, the Chiefs still look the strongest side on paper, even though they don't, don't have. Brody Retallick and in the Blues, well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we keep, ask, is it, yeah, we keep asking that question. Is it going to be their year? Who the, who, the, who the heck knows? But one thing you know in this competition, something that they haven't been able to do in, in recent years, is start well. They always start poorly. And unfortunately, they usually drop their first three or four games. And I think once you, once you lose your three or four, you're pretty much behind the eight ball. They're not quite like the Crusaders where I can remember that. Crusaders about two years in a row losing their first four on one occasion five games but still basically winning the winning the competition so that's the interesting thing for me and of, and, and of course um, Warren Gatlin in terms of what he's going to bring bring to the Chiefs um, also just one other thing I suppose the late change of having John Plumtree who I really rate as a forward coach moving from the Hurricanes that's whoever's taken over that position as Ford's coach has got a really, really big job in front of him. Well, wasn't Plumtree full coach? Yes, I mean, well, she's now head head coach. So, I mean, it's not like so whoever comes in as Ford's coach is going to have have him available to lean on, aren't they? So, so that's not a big problem from that point of view. But um, so yeah, so clearly, yes, yeah, so one of the big big storylines of this of this competition is going to be, as you say, the the, the post rugby World Cup year transition of new players. Um, and we're not going to see that more, more so than anywhere else, that perhaps in Australia, where I think Matsumura is the only 
uh, only recognised 10, and I, I think it's about 12 years, 10, uh, with any experience at all um, down at Rebels. The Brumbies um, have, uh, have lost uh, Leofano, who's, who's gone overseas. The Waratahs have lost Foley, who's gone overseas. And the Reds have um, I've gone blank to players left there. But we've got, we're going to have rookie 10s across the board in Australia. Um, and we've seen the under-20s playing well over the last couple of seasons in that tournament, it's going to be it's it's, it's going to be interesting to see if that uh, under twenties talent can transform into yeah. Super Rugby talent, isn't it? Have you? I mean, John, have you been keeping an eye on the under twenties? No, I haven't seen a, a lot of the. You know, I've been trying to have an off season here a little bit. <laughs> um, you know, I had a, I had a lot of celebrating to do at the end of uh, the World Cup, right? And. Um, yeah, no, I, I haven't, to, to be honest with you, but um, I, I rate Matamua highly. I really do. And um, I, I suspect that the fortunes of Australian rugby would have been better if three, four years ago they'd committed to Tamua as their 10. And, you know, what Australia does very well compared to most of the nations of the world is because their playing pool is small, they commit to a player normally that's historically they commit to a player and then they develop them they don't just do what let's say they do here in new zealand and sometimes in south africa as well where they think oh there'll just be another one that will come down the pike you know uh, so i i think they they would have done well if they'd committed to him three or four years ago and developed him and got, you know got him together with um oh what you can help me out here steve what's the famous uh, brothers uh, that uh, revolutionised Australian rugby in the '84, the yeah, early the Ella, '80s. Ella, Ella the Ella brothers, brothers, yeah. You know, put them in the hands of the Ella brothers. Um, you know, get them to develop. I think they would have done exceptional. I think they would have done much, much better um, than they have in the last four years. But, but yeah. Having said that, um, the lack of depth and the the sort of turmoil that's been going on in Australian rugby for the last two years, it's it doesn't bode well for Super Rugby because. Uh, we want Australia to play well. Um, we want to. We want them to play well and then still get thumped. But we want them to play well. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 Paul, Paul, one thing I will say is they've got an exciting crop of y- youngsters from their twenties last year, but also their their secondary school. So they've got some young young guys coming through. I, listen, I I think they just because the World Cups passed. I think at least they they won't have too many hang-ups. If you if you know what I mean, I don't think they'll have any anything to lose. You know, we'll see a lot of. I think the exciting thing is, I think we're going to see a lot of new talent. Same with South Africa as well. I'm I'm actually really excited about watching some of the South African sides simply because of the flair that they have out wide. And I think Australia have shown last year that we've got some good young kids coming through. And if those kids can 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 knit and and hopefully remain competitive, um, listen, I, I think we're going to see a there's not too many hang-ups after the, after the World Cup. I mean, say, there must be a lot of excitement in, in South Africa having won the World Cup. And then all of a sudden you go into the super, super season with all this exciting talent. It must be a really good feel over there. And even from a, a New Zealand point of view, you know, we've shipped on a lot of guys that have been around for a while. And then, then we've got all this young talent. And there's no real thought about the World Cup. I mean, say, last year's Super Rugby. If we were really honest, it, it, it kind of was all about the it, all about the World Cup, wasn't it, guys? It was like the trial 
for the World Cup, who was who was playing well, who was going to come out of the woodwork, and that's what we were looking at. So as a competition collective, I'm I'm actually quite ex- I'm quite excited about it. I'm even even a team like the, the Sunwolves. I look at them on paper, and you could arguably say they've got a lot of tradesmen in their side, but boy, they've got some good tradesmen as well. They have. Yeah. I, I really hope the Sunwolves can pull it up. Sorry, I interrupted you, Paul. No, sorry. Well, just before we move off, move off off Australia, yeah, basically, I think, yeah, we're talking about a, a lot of raw talent coming through um, that could be exciting at times, but is likely to uh, ha- um, suffer some, um, some, 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 yeah, some, some growing pains over this year. Um, looking at that super, that that, that, that some side, my only problem with that is that essentially it's a brand new team. I mean, there's only like five players left over from last year. All the other players have pretty much gone back to top league and they've had to rebuild a squad from scratch. Uh, and without Tony Brown there, I'm a bit concerned for them. But are you you're more positive than that, um, John? Well, I think it's very important. You know, maybe, um, maybe I'm a little bit more balanced than somebody who starts off the year as a Blues supporter full of hope and, and confidence, you know. Um, you know, and I tend to look at somebody like Steve there, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, they haven't lost a game yet, and uh, and think that hope springs eternal in the breast of the deluded, right? But you, you, I was going to say, you obviously hadn't seen my my uh, post I put to Patrick McKendry, McKendry uh, telling him yeah. basically pull his, pull his head in. Pre-season games are just that. They're pre-season games. I, I take them with a grain of salt, John, and my expectation is the same old, same old. Well, I just think it's so important for uh, world rugby. It's so important for, let's call it Southern Hemisphere rugby. It might not be geographically accurate to include Japan and Southern Hemisphere rugby. But I think it's just so important for rugby that uh, the game grows in Japan and in Asia. And a huge part of that is to see your teams play international high-level rugby. And... Japan's uh, competition, uh, obviously, they've got a lot of very good players in there, some of them towards the tail end of their career. But for the game to grow, you could see the excitement that it generated in Japan to see their team competing at a high level. And I think it was tremendous. They made the quarterfinal and so forth. And I think it's very, very important to see these players do well and to see, to have the Sunwolves in this competition. I think it's, it's vital. It really is. No, I agree. I think the, them leaving is is, is totally wrong, um, but unfortunately, it is it, it's, it is what's happening. Um, hopefully, hopefully they, they they see sense before the end of the season, um, but we'll just have to wait to, to wait and see. So, I, I don't see any real challenges coming out of the Australia conference. Looking over to South Africa, the, the Africa conference, though, you've got the Sharks. We talked about how expensive they're going to be with basically moving on from the Dupria era of both player players and and coach. Um, we've, got, oh, we've got the we've got the Stormers that um, that that are really looking like some like, like some serious contenders over there. Got a good win over the um, over the Sharks in that super in, in that um, superhero weekend, and they they've got to be in with a good shout of of, um, of going deep into the finals, haven't they? Yeah, well, they've got you know they've got some some serious talent in their forwards. I mean, some real, real serious talent in their forwards, including, of course, the Springbok captain. 
and the World uh, Rugby Player of the Year 2019. So that's very important. I'm just a little bit concerned about um, what they're going to do with their backline, right? Um, obviously, they brought Jamie Robertson to try and help with that. And, uh, you know, Delende was great in the World Cup, but he really doesn't pass, right? Um, but they don't have the sort of attacking and cutting thrust that they would have had some years ago. So that's my one concern is, you know, what are we going to see from them when it comes to the back line? And you know, that's exactly the size of the, the, the Bulls for me, big rebuilding year for them. Um, I can't see mm. that. Well, so I can't. I can't see them challenging for the sharp end, but we should have some some good results along the way. And the Lions, again, have just lost too much talent over the last couple of years um, to see them challenging. So, to me, yeah, the, the Storms are definitely the, the pick of the of the South African sides. Uh, and then, obviously, we've got the Listen, I'll just I'll just say this. What the Sharks have done is they've got two additions to their squad that are really interesting. One is uh, Craig Burden has come back from the Northern Hemisphere, and he was always a tremendous addition to the Sharks as a hooker that came off the bench and provided attacking thrust, sort of like a Skulk Brits type player. And the other one is uh, getting Ox and Chair, who came from Cheetahs. The Bulls? Cheetahs. Or the Cheetahs. Yes. He's, he's got a lot of promise, right? And adding a little bit of depth into their pack. If they can have a pack that that can give them parity in the forward exchanges and they commit to taking the ball um, down through the hands, they have got the ability to go a long way because they've got attacking thrust both at first five and at fullback, right? Uh, so and they've also sprinkled in with this some now. So, you know, JP Peterson has come back. I don't think he's seen as possibly a starting um, wing, but certainly as a guiding hand in that squad. So, so yeah, I'd be, I'd be the, the Sharks could be a dark horse for this competition. That'll be interesting. And they've got a tough uh, conference because they've also got the not only the Stormers but also the Haguaris, um, who were finalists last year. Perhaps one of the most settled um, Super Rugby sides, settled coaching setup. Um, I mean, the the the, um, the Hagiaris are also looking um, are looking are looking good to to back up what they did last year, aren't they? I think the Hagiaris uh, are one of the most dangerous teams in this tournament. The only thing is the Hagiaris, like many, excuse excuse this is, uh, but many Latin temperament based teams is who's going to pitch up next year after a disappointing World Cup campaign, having done so well, having lost a couple of players at the end of the World Cup cycle, are they going to continue their upward trend? If they are, then things could go very badly pay for a team like the Bulls because the Bulls are short of, of experience. Um, they, they have a long-term rugby man as their coach, but not a coach with a tremendous amount of coaching experience at these upper echelon levels and if they are going to have, have two matches against uh, teams like the Jaguaris, if the Jaguaris are anything like they were last year, things could go very badly wrong for the Bulls and there's, and and the same goes with the Lions, the key for me with the Lions is will Whiteley be able to play, I mean he has had 
an absolute horror run of injuries the last four years. Um, and he's still committed to that Lions team. So it, they really are lacking in leadership, including in their coaching structures. So I think it's really key for the Lions whether or not they're going to have the services of their captain. Yep, true. So, guys, um, predictions time. Who, who do you think are going to be at the pointy end of the uh, of the season? I think we're looking at Chiefs, Crusaders, and Haguaris Stormers are kind of the, the the teams that are going to be making that pointy end. What what's, um, what do you think, John? Well, let me ask you this: Who are the standout players? Before I give you my answer, this is this is relevant. Who are the standout players in the Sharks pack? Uh, I'm going to pull up their squad to remind myself who's there. Um, the uh, you've got a Detroit in there. Uh, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Run through, just run through them. Just run through the names. There'll be about 15 names. Just run through them. So I've probably got what Thomas Detroit, um, Michael Kambari. Um, Nzampo Mahoyola. Um, sorry about the pronunciations. Kuthar oh, just really, This is inadvertently going to be a lot of fun. John Herbert Meyer, Oxnick, and Juan Schumann. Are you, are you props? Uh, right. Hookers, Craig Burden, you've talked about. Fetz um, Matamba, uh, Dylan Richardson, uh, Kieran Von Vuren. Who are the hookers? Burden and who? Uh, well, Craig Burden. Fez Mambathi, Mambatha, Dylan yeah. Richardson, yeah. and Kieran Von Vuren. Okay, so there's not a lot of depth there, okay? Yep. Into the box. Also, Kieran Bosch. Kieran Bosch is there, and Andre Osterhazen. Osterhe- yeah, but that's. We, I just, I'm asking about the pack. So, in, in your, your, your locks, you're looking at um, Hydron Andrews, Tyler Paul, LaRue Ruitz, Jordan Schlesch-Klee, JJ Vandermich. Um, Emil Van Herin, Ruben Van Herin, again, not names that. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. you, then you would lose these. Um, Felici um, Bothelis, um, Clempino Gumbembi, um, Terra Matembu, um, Ski Skimbuzo, um, Notoshi. Notoshi, he's, uh, he's from. He's come over from the uh, Stormers. Yep. Very athletic, uh, wide-ranging player. The um, Andes, Natisili, Evan Roos, James Venter, and um, uh, Henko Venter. So again, yeah, there's no, there's not the big names amongst all that. Rugby's won and lost in the forwards, right? Uh, you saw this at the World Cup. Yeah. The, the top pack, the top pack, won that game. It was finished by, by, by outstanding wings, and uh, and and not to forget uh, the very skillful play of Um for that first try in the final, but it's won and lost in the forwards. Maybe there's some youngsters in this um, in this Sharks team that are going to step up and and make a name for themselves. I'm I'm thrilled to see the number of of. Uh, Black African players that are in these squads, especially the Shark squad, and and in the forwards. So I'm going to be bold here. I don't know these players, but I'm going to be bold here. I'm going to say it's going to be between the Sharks, 
they might not start well, right? Remembering, of course, that February in Durban um, is the the ball is slipperier than playing in the rain. Um, the perspiration and the humidity in Durban is off the charts. Uh, so February doesn't lend itself to good ball handling in Durban. So they might not start well with new players, young players finding their feet in this competition. The February handling conditions in in uh, in Durban. But my um, pick for this conference is going to be between the Sharks and the Jaguars. And, and 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 from the Australian New Zealand conference, who's going to make it to the sort of semi-finals or the final? Well, who has the best pack? To yeah. be as straight as that, who has the best pack among those teams? Yeah. So you're looking. Yeah. Okay. So you're looking at yeah Crusaders and and, and Chiefs probably amongst that. Stephen, which which teams are you looking at making the uh, the, the the sharp end of the of uh, of the finals? Oh, listen, I pretty much agree, agree with everything that you you guys have actually said. I mean to say, with, with, I suppose the only thing with the Chiefs, they've always had a horrendous run of, of of injuries in the past. That's the only thing that's really, in my opinion, is is really curtailed them. It's curtailed them quite a bit in, in recent seasons. Not to mention their poor start at the beginning of of last year, but. Gee, on paper, they've got a lot of quality. Their, their back line looks awesome. Yeah, Retallick's going to be a bit of a bit of a loss, but uh, I suppose if there is one weakness in the Chiefs, is they, I don't know if... I think we might have spoken about this before, Paul. I don't know if they've got a lot of locking cover. Like, they, if you looked at their two locks, in yeah. my opinion, they're probably their two locks are probably um, oh, Tyler Ardron and the uh, the lock that plays for Hawks Bay. Just, just about his name. Allardyce, that's their, that's their two locks. But you know what? I actually prefer Ardron at eight as opposed to lock. I agree. Yeah, and that's where he's been playing a lot, which was, I mean, why Adam Thompson coming in? Old stager will bring experience, but I'm a bit surprised that they didn't try and bring another lock in. Um, mm. I, must I think lock is going to be an area that we're going to see is a problem across a lot of teams in Super Rugby. Because if you think Retallick's white locks have gone... But, I mean, the list of locks who have left South Africa is immense. Uh, Norman. Lots of them have gone. Uh, I did a piece last... The Bulls. The Bulls have lost locks that would walk into a series of locks. They've lost Lut Jager, R.G. Sneiman, um, and the third one which escapes Well, they've me. lost um, J- Jason Jenkins, Ellie Sneiman, um, and Andre Steeson as well. Yeah, so... They've lost at least two locks that would walk into any squad in the world for a World Cup team, right? Um, they might not start for New Zealand, but they'd be in New, in the All Black squad, right? Um, they've been decimated from the heart of their their pack. Uh, so, so yeah, this is um, this is going to be a, a really interesting thing to see the the South African locking stocks in this part of the tournament, right? Yeah, because even Beth is also it's gone. Is gone. Yep. He's also gone from the Stormers. So, yeah, um, it, so, it, it was interesting that yeah, the, basically the, the, the French and Japanese teams have been shopping for locks big time post-Rugby World Cup. Uh, and it's, yeah, that, that's an area that, that that's, um, Super Rugby has lost a lot of players in. I did a piece for my supporters looking at all the players that have left um, Super Rugby I did last year who everyone was leaving. And, yeah, this, the numbers are pretty similar to what they were back in 2016. But the, but the demographic of players has changed a lot. There's lots lots more locks going Whereas back in 2016, you saw a lot of a lot of wingers and and, um, and outside backs going. 
Not so many this year. A lot of the outside backs have stuck around. So it's interesting how the these cycles change as to what uh, as, as to what people are pe- what people are going out there and uh, and shopping for. Joshua makes a good point that says that no. Be, sorry. Could it be just an observation? Could it be that a lot of those outside backs that went 2016, right after the 2015 World Cup, maybe they're still playing, right? Yep. And maybe they're still holding down those positions. Yeah, there's an element of that. I mean, there's also an element of I mean, one of the things we saw um, when we looked at the uh, some some analysis came out a couple of weeks ago, looking at the average salaries of different positions, and locks were very high. And one of the reasons for that is is that locks you used to be able to get away with back in the amateur days being a six foot lock. You can't do that anymore. Nowadays, you have to be a tall freak to be a lock um, at professional level, and there are only so many of those around. Um, there's a lot more six foot people than are six foot three, six foot four. Um, and it's just so just numbers wise, there aren't that many tall uh, athletic people to, to play those positions. So, uh, yeah, it's supply and demand. I think so that might also be part of it as well. And let's be honest, the procession of absolute world class locks that the Springboks had in that final, the fact that they could take two locks off and bring another two absolute world-class locks on that are not only enormous, but incredibly hard-working and athletic. It had a major effect on that final. Yep. Can, can we move on from that World Cup final? <laughs> no. <laughs> can we move on? No. I haven't been on for weeks and weeks. I just have to remind myself. Yeah. Once again, our God is on the side of the righteous. So the... Oh, dear. Oh, dear, oh, dear me. Um... So, yeah, so um, Joshua reckons that apparently no... Just, let me just say this. I had to live through 57-0, right? <laughs> I didn't change the topic at any time. I took it like we, a man. We, we actually felt sorry for South Africa. That was the crazy and, thing about it. And we moved we, on to we, talk we, about we, other things. We, yeah, I think we have. Yeah, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> um, just one last piece. On oh, oh, can we talk about the last two sevens tournaments? Did we mention the last two sevens tournaments? No, we, we, haven't, lost, the, we haven't mentioned the, the last two sevens. Oh, no, just one, just one. <laughs> um, I think what, that first sevens tournament after the World Cup where, this, where the Blitzbocker won it as well, at that particular moment, you couldn't, you couldn't like, like euphoric, you like you wake up in the morning and go, is this real? And the answer is you no. Know? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Joshua reckons that no professional rugby clubs has won um, more than four titles in a row. Um, so yeah, can can the Crusaders join that four the four peak team? We will uh, we'll find out. But they're definitely in with a shout. Now this if weekend, they do that, there's some people. If they do that with the players that they've got, you you you'd have to hail um, yes. Scott Robertson big time, and you'd big also yeah, and uh, and because. Uh, yeah, Foster doesn't have a great season. You'd have to ask some questions. And by the way, if he does it, not only will they be the first professional team to win four in a row, but he will have done it over a World Cup cycle where he lost people like Crotty, etc., etc., where he lost those gnarly old-school professionals, right, that experience core. So, yes, it would be an amazing feat. Because, because there is the other part of the argument that people say, oh, no, he's got all the cattle. Yep. I mean to say, dare I say, Todd Blackadder. I was going to say, Blackadder had all the cattle. Had all the cattle. Exactly. I mean, Todd Black. Let's be honest, Todd Blackadder 
had so many of the same players and he got them to the playoffs every year. Not a given, right? But that extra... No, that would be amazing. Yeah. So, this weekend, I will be doing live post-match reaction to the uh, Blues versus the Chiefs, um, the uh, Crusaders versus the Waratahs, and also the Haguares versus the Lions. So do join me straight after those games for live post-match reaction to those games um, and uh, uh, this, this weekend as Super Rugby uh, kicks off. And the other thing that's kicking off this weekend is the Six Nations. Uh, we, oy, might, oy. we might find that John suddenly has technical issues and disappears at this point. <laughs> Um, but um, right, take some coffee here. Hold on. Yeah, you, you drink your coffee. Um, whilst, yeah, pick this. Try and get through this. The, um, so, uh, the Six Nations kicks off this 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 year, and it is looking at being one of the most interesting and exciting tournaments for a, for, for a long time, um, because what we're looking at is uh, we've obviously got um, England, where Eddie Jones is still in charge, but pretty much all his assistants have moved on. So we've got a, a new coaching set up there uh, and bringing in new players. Um, you've got um, Ireland with a new, brand new head coach. Um, we've got Scotland, uh, Wales with a new head coach. Uh, France with um, a new head coach, um, and also an awful lot of young players, so like, like an average age of 24 in their squad. I think it is um, for France. Um, and when you add into that, Sean Edwards as a defence coach who is used to dealing with France and the, and the British and Irish Lions. Sorry, used to in Wales and the British and Irish Lions. That's going to be interesting. Um, as we've talked about with John before, we've got the, the ex-Cheaters coach, who's now the head coach of Italy, um, so a new head coach there. And perhaps the only team that is, is pretty stable is Scotland, except Finn Russell went out, drank too much, and missed training the next day, and so got dropped. So, um, with all that... that sounds like a very school rugby problem. <laughs> yes, an old school rugby problem. Just, just, oh. When you've got two world-class players on your side, in Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg, you somehow make sure they're playing. Um, now, one of the interesting things that came out, and perhaps there is some uh, some, some some bad blood in the Scottish camp, because last year you might remember that England were beating Scotland quite comfortably at half-time, only for Scotland to come back and uh, draw the game. Amazing game. Um, really upsetting for me, obviously, being English. But apparently at half-time, Finn Russell and Gregor Townsend had a stand-up argument over the style of play. So, yes, not everything in Scotland. Um, so even though Andre in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the live chat is saying, come on, Scotland, time to step up. Step up. Um, yeah, Scotland, I think, are going to struggle um, in, 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 in this one. Um, Stephen, have you uh, any, any um, sort of matches or, or, or particular storylines you're looking forward to from the Six Nations? Um, it, it's probably a little, I've got to be honest, it's probably a little bit hard to, find myself getting up at 3.15am to watch Wales v Italy. Um, I may get up and watch the, the Ireland-Scotland game because it's at a sort of quarter to six is normally about what time I perch up. Um, but I still think Ireland will be too strong. Um, the interesting game for me will be the, the French. There's been a lot written about the French and maybe with um, with a lot of the younger players that are coming through. And that game is being played in France, I, I believe, in Paris. Oh, yep, that game's in Paris. Yep. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the French will, will basically want to hit the ground ground running and um, England after the World Cup, I guess, they've got a point to prove. They do. Um, the so, so those games, just so you're aware of what the opening games are, we've got so Wales versus Italy at 3.15 in the morning. 
Um, Ireland versus Scotland at um, 5.45. So those games on Sunday morning. Then on Monday morning at 4 a.m., France um, kick off against England. I will be doing live post-match action to all all three of those games. Um, And I have been threatening to to, to force um, John into watching what one what, at least one Six Nations game um, this year, but I've got, I, I do feel dragging him over at four o'clock in the morning is a, perhaps a little bit um, a little a, a, a little bit of an ask. You asked you offered me beer, and um, if you want a four, you said there'd be beer. If you want a four a.m. beer, you're up for, um, then uh, you're welcome to a four a.m. beer Monday morning. Castle Lager. The, <laughs> The, um, but I do think the, the game we're going to be forcing him to watch is uh, going to be on uh, Sunday the 15th of March. We've got a 9 a.m. kickoff, France versus Ireland. So maybe a, a, a fry-up and a France versus Ireland game. <laughs> so, John, I, obviously famously, you're not, a, you're not a, a, um, a European rugby fan. Any But any particular storylines you're looking forward to from the Six Nations? I want to see if, um, if the back line gets a ball. <laughs> <That's> the... <laughs> look, look, it's the, the atmospheres are tremendous. You know, Scotland plays England, especially if they're playing in Scotland. Tremendous. Um, uh, Croke Park. Uh, no, not Croke Park. What's the new um, uh, stadium in in uh, Ireland? So Lansdowne Road. No, but they moved. They built another one. Lansdowne Road. Oh, it's called the yeah, the Viva Stadium at Lansdowne Road. Yeah, same place. Yeah, yeah. same place. Um, that stadium, fantastic millennium. I mean, the atmosphere is fantastic. The car is fantastic, whatever. But sometimes the rugby is just, um, you know. Um, and I, I'd like to see if, um, you know, this is now. How many World Cups? And one of them has been won by the Northern Hemisphere. And South Africa put England away using their wings. Right? That was the final nail in the coffin. Yes, they won it up front, no doubt about it. But they used wings. And, and, and you saw it with uh, New Zealand. They won in 2015. Outstanding wings. Right? Outstanding performances from Milner Scudder and Savia. Right? Um, <laughs> So you've got, um, and and as well um, at fullback, Ben Smith was outstanding. And funnily enough, for all the flack that he took, Vili Larue played uh, in the precursor to the final. Vili Larue played very well in that final. So a back three um, was instrumental in many of these World Cups that have been won. And I'm I'm just you know hoping that the the Northern Hemisphere will start to embrace that style of play. Where they give their players some sort of freedom to to attack with the ball, and not just simply go for forward-based, you know. And I'm hoping, for instance, Franco Smith, who is now coaching Italy, um, will 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 do something like that. Because rather than try and keep the score down and and not be embarrassed, that maybe they'll go the same route that Argentina went. Because Argentina, for many years, did exactly that. They tried to play a forward. A dominated heavy kicking game and try and not be embarrassed and and under Graham Henry's advice um, he told them you may not be embarrassed but you're not going to win that way right so I'm, I'm just hoping that maybe the penny will drop 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, how Italy go. Uh, unfortunately, their domestic sides in uh, Benetton and Zebre haven't been performing as well they had, as they did last season, um, which is disappointing. Uh, and so it's going to be, I, I must admit, I'm, I'm, I'm sceptical as to how well Italy will go in, in this Six Nations. I just think the other, that they haven't progressed enough compared to other teams. But, um, but yeah, you want a competitive, you want, you, you want all the games to be competitive, so you want them to be, to be playing some, 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 some exciting rugby. Um, the, Stephen, Wayne Pivak is going to be in charge of Wales. Um, for your experience of, who, of Wayne, what, what, what can we expect from, 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 his, from his side? Oh, listen, he's got a real hard-nosed coaching approach. He's already, he's already basically um, already been offside with a lot of the Welsh public by bringing a couple of New Zealand-born born players in. <laughs> Heavily criticised for bringing Willis, yeah, that, um, the guy with the Welsh name, Willis Hallahullo, um, and also uh, Johnny McNichol in the side, although uh, the Hallahullo one's dissipated a wee bit because uh, Hallahullo's been forced to pull out of the squad with injury. Um, listen, from what I saw of Wales, I, and I can only really go back to what I I, I saw in, in World Cup, there was that they played that third, that, that third play, place game with the All Blacks, and they looked like they had some good young guys, you know, that are keen to run the ball, but as John has previously said, have they really got the courage to play that style of rugby when, when push comes to shove? I, I would I would hope under somebody like Wayne Pivak's watch being a New, New Zealander that they do look to be a little bit more expensive. I mean, so got a, there's a young winger that plays for God, who does he play for? Gloucester at England and and Scott uh, and um, Wales were battling over. He looks a real talent, and apparently uh, they're also going to play George North as a centre, I believe. Well, the, yeah, this, clearly uh, the, the, the the centres is is an area of a uh, big, massive question mark for Wales, and they need to sort it out. They've relied pretty much on three guys um, in Jamie Roberts, um, Hadley Parks, um, and Jonathan Davis for the best part of a decade now. Uh, and they, yeah, with um, I mean, yeah. Hadley Parks, uh, well, all three of them aren't going to be there at the next Rugby World Cup. Clearly, uh, Jeremy Roberts has, has, has already gone. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the centres. Um, but, so, yeah, hopefully with Wayne Pivak, we'll see a much, we'll, we'll see a more expansive game than we saw their Wales play with uh, under Gatland. But that's, uh, and unfortunately, the play you're talking about, um, Oh, Reese Zimmer, something like that from Blank is his name. Yep. Um, but he's injured um, initially for the Six Nations, so he's going to miss out. Which, uh, as listening to the to uh, the um, uh, Blood and Mud podcast, they were they were talking about it being quite a, a, a good thing because it just if, as long as it's not a serious injury, it's one that will take some of the pressure off. Uh, look, the kids only played a handful of, uh, of, of, of Premiership games, um, and to be thrust into this limelight this quickly. Maybe yeah, if we could just calm expectation down a little bit, might be might be kind of useful. Yeah, Wales. John John might agree with me, but I always look upon Wales as the as the nearly team. They nearly they nearly beat that team, or they nearly won that. I know they've won some some Six Nations titles under under Warren Gatlin, and, and and in some cases, if, I know in a couple of them they've had to basically beat England, but in a lot of cases they've, they've kind of you know the draws fell the right way for them. I always look at them as a as a nearly team. They always show show potential, but never never quite crack it. If only 
if our captain hadn't got a red card, then we would have made the World Cup final. If we just, if we just, it's always just like that, just that. And I, you know, I just keep on coming back to this, the same, the same idea here is that the way rugby is played now, you must be able to score, right? It's gone that old adage of World Cups are one on defense. Yes. You need a good defense, and yes, now I'm sorry to go back to this, but this is for the purposes of illustration. It's not just simply to beat my South African drum. But the South African team that won, yes, they did, what's it, one, two, three, uh, round-robin uh, round quarterfinals. So on six, in six matches, I think they conceded four tries in six matches, and two of which were to the All Blacks, right? Um, but... They had the wings to put five and seven on the board, right? So if in the modern game, if you look back, now going sometime back, you'll see this pattern of outstanding wings in teams that win World Cups, right? Um, even though it might have been decided by kicking, they are still outstanding wings. You still have Brian Habana. You still have uh, Jason Robinson. You still have... Um, who was it? Ben Chicken and 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 Roth, right? Joe Roth. Um, you still you, so you see these this pattern of outstanding wings. You need to have a strong pack. It's won and lost there, but you need to be able to put to finish because there are so few opportunities at these upper levels. You need to have those players that can finish, right? Um, it's become quite similar to. Uh, very high-level football in, in, in that way. That somebody who can put the ball in the back of the net becomes priceless. Right? Yeah, I, I, I agree with John. And I don't want to sound ultra-arrogant, but sometimes if you if you think of some of these players like a George North and Israel Folau, if they were in a, in a better team, yes, cre- created more opportunities yes. for the men, that, they're next, they would be next-level wingers. Seriously. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you know, it's crazy. Even some of the tough times that South Africa went through, I often thought, man, I wonder what Havana would be like on the end of an oh. black chain. It's oh. scary. Scary. I mean, Havana ended up with two tries less than the world record holder, and one, uh, which is Japanese winger, and one try less than Campisi. And if he had been outside... Uh, Conrad Smith and Ma Nonu and Dan Carter, he had, uh, I, I'm really confident he had over 100 tries. Right? And, and, of course, and I was going to say, master, master of picking up opportunities, especially on the intercept. You know, everybody goes, oh, there's an element of luck to that. But you know what? That's just a great read. And having the speed to actually yeah. to read that intercept is one thing rushing out of the line and yes. catching thin air and then turning around and Walking back to your yeah. compost, it's another thing. Shooting out of the light and collecting that intercept, and boy, nine point nine percent, nine point nine percent of the time, out of ten, mm. he always caught those intercepts. Mm. So, so you, you've, you've got. got um, I mean, there's there's a few players in the world where I would be thinking that the All Black Brain Trust uh, and their very skillful coaching that the All Blacks have would be predicated around how do we give these players one-on-ones because they are going to beat the man, right? And and these players, 
you know, what I'd love to see is you or you spoke about England's pre-planned moves. Uh, uh, Paul, you, you pointed out how they have a series of pre-planned moves from kickoff, etc. You know, I'd love to see if um, these kind of players that are in these teams, whether there's a concerted effort to give them one-on-ones, you know, um, and there are players that have this ability to beat their opposition and to beat them comfortably. I mean, as we know, Owen Farrell is still looking for Colby, right? So, <laughs> you know, what? It's, it's never going to grow old, Paul. It's never going to grow old. Owen Farrell's counting his money and, and all his property investments at the moment. I think he, he doesn't care where oh, Colby is. But the um, guys. Paul, I was going to say, in, in, in my mind, I think Cheslin Colby is the best winger in the world at this very moment. My, in my mind, I think he's the most dangerous winger who can make something out of absolutely nothing. And that's not being disrespectful to even somebody. He's a winger. He's a fullback. Yeah, but he, but he can scary. slot onto the. But he can slot onto. That's what's he scary. On, that's he can slot onto the wing. Yeah. And I reckon he'd still be better. I know mean, it's a little bit like when they pushed Ben Smith out to the wing. And there was a time where, man, he looked equally comfortable in the wing. Just just sends a time in terms of pace, in my opinion, caught up with with, with Ben Smith. But Cheslin Colby, wow. He's he's a player, if you were playing against him, I'd be, to- I'd be totally concerned. Seriously. Well, I really... I mean, you think about Colby as being a player who was the Pro 14 player of the season, leading his team... Or instrumental in his team winning that competition, playing at fullback in the Northern Hemisphere under all those high balls in the wet, supposedly undersized and still being so devastating. Uh, yeah, and and just on your Ben Smith comment, I think that in the period from twenty, let's call it twenty fourteen through to twenty eighteen, over that sort of four year period. I think Ben Smith, all told, was the best rugby player in the in the world, and um, I think he didn't scale in the public's eye and in the rec- and and in recognition. He didn't get anything like was his due because he always went where the team needed him rather than playing at fullback where he could display his brilliance. Right? Mm. Uh, yeah. So. But anyway, getting back to this, you, if, I hope that, to the issue at hand, I hope that the Northern Hemisphere teams embrace some kind of, look, they've got a four-year cycle. If they embrace the idea that you, you are not going to beat, this is the thing, you are not going to beat the All Blacks if you're not scoring in fives and sevens, right? So if you're prepared to be brave and prepared to take a few L's on, uh, on the table in the next two years, and develop something where you put an emphasis on getting the ball over the line, then you've got a chance in the next World Cup. But you're not going to win it if you're not scoring in fives and sevens. So, looking at the squads, you're going to say with Ireland, they're not taking that opportunity, and they, they've kept some, they kept some Johnny Sexton and a few other players who aren't going to make the next Rugby World Cup. So they look like they're concentrating on here and now, not looking forwards, um, and they're up against Scotland. So they'll probably win that game. But I think it looks like they're winning the battle, not the war. The team that's looking at winning the war, though, is France, in all honesty. Average age, 24. Um, an absolute fan, uh, lots of exciting young talent. Um, a backline that I think we're going to see ex- uh, exposed. So 
uh, or, or used. So the game of the weekend for me is that France versus England game. Um, because I, and, is, um, and that's more, and not sort of just as an English fan. Is it, sorry, I interrupt you, Paul. Is Intermax Sun playing first five? When we see the lineup, we'll we'll we'll, we'll hear. But I, yes, but um, what, 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 one of the one of the fun. One he of the fun is comments, special. Pardon? He is special. <laughs> yes, he is special. Quite right. Um, so, uh, I say I'll be live after all three of the Six Nations games with live post-match reaction. But my advice is, yeah, catch that France-England game. Um, it is one you're going to get up for. Sure, it's 4 a.m. on a Monday morning, so it's a little bit hard um, for most people who've got proper jobs. Um, but um, but that's definitely the game I will be uh, keeping an eye out for if you can. By the way, yep. I would. There's there's a player that I would watch. Yeah. There's a player worth watching. The um. So, uh, Andre's gone and said that um, England to break the World Cup finals Blues. We will see. Uh, if you head over to drivingmall.com, I have my predictions up there for the Super Rugby round one, um, the Six Nations round one, and also the Pro 14. There is a Pro 14 game on this weekend, Cheaters versus the Kings. Um, so if you head over to drivingmall.com, you can get my predictions around all those games. Um, and uh, boys, thank you very much for your time. It has been a pleasure, as always. And um, I will... Uh, no worries. And you'll find that I'll be back on Thursday evening with Shane, where we'll go through the actual squads and preview round one of Super Rugby. Um, Stephen and I will be back on Tuesday, oh, sorry, Monday night next week, where we will review the round one action. And John will be joining me again next Tuesday for House Rugby Chat. So um, thank you, everybody. And uh, catch you all next time. <laughs>